The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Are those flying boots? I have more in common with a dog than I have with you. I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. My mother told me what was necessary to rule in this universe. By killing people? I create life! And I destroy it. Welcome to the Contenders, <laughs> the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. <laughs> I am Tobin Addington. And I'm Iceland Addington. <laughs> and with us today, we have a returning, uh, fabulous, amazing special guest who I think adores this movie. Joey Lewandowski. Hi, Joey. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I was telling Aislinn on our 1,000th episode extravaganza that I am so excited for this because back before The Contenders was a thing, back when Second Chance Cinema was going to be what you did, this was the movie I signed up for. So it took a year and a half. We made it. Two years, probably, (laughs) but we made it. completely, a complete shift in focus. But with the same passion behind my words. We pivot. We pivoted all the way around this movie, <laughs> both uh, both sides. I bought a used copy of this movie back then, and then by the time I was watching it for this, it was streaming on HBO. <laughs> so, uh, so I have a I have a a, a copy here. Um, Iceland. Speaking of this movie, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about the 2015 classic, Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter. <laughs> Jupiter. Jupiter Tobin, did you see this movie in the theater? I did not see it in the theater. I saw it for the I started it for the first time two days ago and I finished it today over lunch. Uh Island, did you see this in the theater? I did not. I started it two days ago as well and finished it yesterday. Uh because I knew it was gonna be a thing. I am most familiar with it because of the how did this get made? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, I have listened to I think four other shows cover this movie uh so i i felt like i knew a lot about it going in um Mm -hmm. joey did you see this movie in the theaters twice (laughs) (laughs) different runs though let's walk that let's let's walk that back twice different runs so this movie and i I don't want to steal the two bits but this movie was delayed and delayed and delayed and this might have been i was thinking about this today this is probably the movie that was closest to me as Phantom Menace was to Tobin in terms of a movie that I was looking forward to forever, seemingly forever, mm. uh-huh, because uh-huh. The Matrix is my favorite movie or was my favorite movie or still up there or whatever. I've loved just about everything that the Wachowskis have ever done. And this was like a, you know, a space epic. Like This was all in my wheelhouse. And it was supposed to come out like the summer of twenty. 14 i think and then Mm -hmm. it kept getting delayed and delayed and then it finally got dumped in february and when it came out i had so many friends thinking they were funny 
sending me links about how terrible this movie was doing at the box office <laughs> and about how terrible this was, this was to critics and everything like that. And I went into the theater and I was just sort of bummed and it's a confusing movie and I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. And then before I left Austin, the draft house did a retrospective of the Wachowskis and they showed all of their movies over the course of a month. So in theaters, I saw the matrix trilogy. I saw, I think I saw everything but bound. I wound up seeing cloud Atlas again in theaters. I saw this again in theaters. I saw speed racer for the first time, which I loved. Um, and so I went in there thinking that I giving it a, a fair shake, a second shot, second mm-hmm. chance cinema, if you will. And it was introduced by these two women who adored the movie and their, you know, affection toward it rubbed off on me. And I was sitting next to this other woman who I have to imagine was had the world's biggest crush on Channing Tatum, because mm-hmm. every time he came on screen, she basically squeed and it was just the infectious enthusiasm of the presenters and this woman next to me that I was like, oh, no, I love this movie. And so <laughs> since then, I've seen it now twice more, and I love it. And it's a commitment to see this that many times. This is not a short movie. Like, that's, that's, a, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. And I – not to argue, I expected it to be longer than it was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It feels longer than it is. It takes uh-huh. up the whole room. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It is three-dimensional in a way that it, it's, you know, I wasn't wearing glasses, but it felt like I was mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's a, yeah. If you're in the um, room with it, it's everywhere. Island, what is your history with the Wachowskis? Well, thank you so much for asking. <laughs> because I didn't realize until I was scrolling IMDb while watching this movie uh, that they are responsible for Bound. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Which is a Team Addington favorite. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, you. I think one of the many things Tobin and I share is a, an affection for and an attraction to Gina Gershon. Indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I, and I don't know quite how I missed that. I think in part because I, I um, have not, I didn't get all the way in on the matrix. I, I've seen the first one and it was interesting, but I, it wasn't my franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think at that point, I didn't like backtrack um, to see more, but I'm looking at the list right now. And yes, the only ones I've seen <laughs> are bound <laughs> the original Matrix and Jupiter Ascending. But I'm, awa- I'm aware of them as yeah. a as a filmmaking team. And then um, in the the business that I'm in, I am uh, also aware of them as um, uh transgender figures in mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. Right, right, I right. I, I think we can stand by, or at least I should say, I stand by Bound as a phenomenal movie. I think it is a, um, and maybe we'll do, maybe we get to do Bound another time. I hope uh, so. But it is a, it is, it is the best non-Hitchcock Hitchcock movie. Best Hitchcock movie Hitchcock didn't make is Bound. I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. Um, Joey, uh, your experience with, with the Wachowskis. So the reason I think 
the main reason that Mike and I did Keanu Club as a follow-up to the Cage Club is because I love The Matrix that much. And I was like, let's watch all of his movies so I have a reason to talk about this one movie. So that is that. <laughs> Bound, I think, was probably not the last one I saw, but one of the la- the, the, the later ones, because I feel like The Matrix kind of came out of nowhere for me, especially because was, I was 11 when it came out. And I didn't see it till it was on DVD because I wasn't allowed to see it in the theaters. And I still remember the birthday party I went to that my friend showed it to all of us. We were probably like 13 or 14. I was like, oh, my God, this <laughs> is amazing. the greatest night of my life. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I, I've seen all of their movies, their TV show on Netflix, Sense8, which is too beautiful for this world, which was I was surprised I got even two seasons. But it is a, a miracle. Have either of you seen any of Sense8? No. Oh, man. It is wonderful. Uh, It is bananas crazy just like this. But I just love their stuff. I love that even when I think the thing I I like most about them is that even when things aren't the best, even when you can you can look at something objectively and say, well, this didn't quite work. They're still doing things in everything they make that you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think even if you hate everything about this movie, there are a couple sequences in here. There are a couple sequences in here that are just, pardon the pun, out of this world. That they are just <laughs> remarkable and either done better than I've ever seen them done before, or just done in creative new ways that just take my breath away. I felt like watching this. I th- I thought it might have worked better as a series. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And I haven't seen Sense8, so I'm not sure how things unfold there. But um, rather than – I don't know. Sometimes when I make a salad, (laughs) I put a lot of good – from my perspective, I put a lot of good things in it, right? You've got whatever the base – is your kale or your mixed greens or your whatever. But then I want to get the almonds in there. I want to get um, maybe some, uh, what are the tiny little, like little green onions. Uh-huh. Um, I like a little a dried fruit. I like then maybe a spicy cheese. And mm. then, and so like all kinds of good stuff where if you have the mundane lettuce or other, you know, to, um, spread things out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's great. But sometimes at the very end, you've got just uh, a couple bites of all the goodies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you think, oh man, it's all the goodies. That's amazing. <laughs> but then you put it in your mouth and it is too much. Too much goodie. Yes. <laughs> so is this, you're saying that Jupiter Ascending is too much of the goodies, the, the bottom of the salad, that it would have been better to spread it out over eight episodes? Yes. Yeah. All right. That's I like what I'm that. saying. Yeah. Um, before we get too much further, yes. <laughs> uh, Tobin, sorry, I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, Wachowski us, and then I would like you to uh, seamlessly pivot into your two bits. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, so briefly, I saw Bound before I saw well before the Matrix was out. I saw the movie after it had come out, and um, yeah, it's an Addington favorite. Um, past and future guest Joe Bolenbaugh, my college roommate, and I were big fans of Bound. We went to the Matrix then on opening night, and uh, I think we've told the story before, haven't we, on the show? Maybe not. But Joe leaned over from like eight people there, four people down on the row, half like partway through the Matrix, a little buzzed. He leans over and says. Am I drunk or is this really good? <laughs> <laughs> and 
the answer was both. Both. Yeah, the answer was both. Um, and then as with so many people, I saw the next Matrix, the, the first of the two sequels. And then <laughs> I didn't see any other Wachowskis project until this movie oh. this week. Uh, so I and we'll t- I'll talk about that uh, more as as we uh, get into the show. So but uh, so for two bits of film history and Joey, I'm sure we'll have more to add as we go through our discussion. The first is that, as he said, this film was plagued by bad word of mouth for a long time before it's before it was released. I think it was originally budgeted at like 100 or 125 million million dollars and end up re- uh, costing a reported 175 million dollars. Uh, there were reshoots and poor test screenings and people, they had a surprise showing at Sundance, which A, is a stupid place to show this movie. And uh, B, people walked out, uh, which, you know, no surprise. It's just not kind of the Sundance vibe. Uh, the other bit of film history that I did not know is that the story was inspired. I think this was Lana Wachowski saying that the story was inspired in part by the Odyssey and the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. which at first are sort of like, well, isn't every movie kind of <laughs> the Odyssey and the Wizard of Oz? But then as you think about it in terms of stories about about transformation and self-discovery and, and long journeys and all the sort of, you know, odds stacked against you coming home and coming home in disguise, all that kind of stuff um, actually does kind of play a role in here. So. Uh, yeah, those are our two bits. Um, Iceland, how about the women involved in major roles in Jupiter Ascending? Can you give us those? Would love to. As we've mentioned a little bit already, writer, director, producing team, the Wachowskis. Actors, Mila Kunis, Nikki Amuka Bird, Tuppence Middleton, Gugu Mbatha Ra, Vanessa Kirby. And may I say, the incomparable yes. Maria Doyle Kennedy. <laughs> you may indeed. Damn, I love her. <laughs> I got so excited. Even in the little, in the flashback with the terrible bangs, mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. like, Mrs. S. It was oh, so good for any anyone who has still not watched Orphan Black. S. You are missing something in your life. Find it. It's on Amazon Prime. Watch it. It is something else. She was also and, very sorry, good. one thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. If they had tried to make that into a movie, it would have been bad. It was good as a series. <laughs> anyway. All right. So shall I give you a little bit of the plot? <laughs> um, yes, please. And and because I'm just realizing that the way you introduce to this podcast is going to mm-hmm. be very confusing to people like our mother. Well, yes. Well, look, look at that in the, in the discussion. Yeah, no, okay. I knew it was a risk. Okay. <laughs> but so was the uh, so was the performance in the movie. So that's uh, <laughs> true. Go big or go home, right? <clears throat> All right. Here is Super Descending. When Chicago-based cleaning lady Jupiter Jones, played by Mila Kunis, discovers she's actually intergalactic royalty and queen of the Earth, she finds herself enmeshed in the political intrigue of one of the universal royal families, with no one to trust but her half-wolf protector, Kane Wise, played by a prosthetic smothered Channing Tatum. It turns out that the humans on Earth were planted there by these transhuman beings who regularly harvest planted human lives in order to regenerate their own cells and live forever in young, ageless bodies. Jupiter must survive to claim her birthright, outmaneuver the competition, and stand up against a wild Eddie Redmayne as, I kid you not, interstellar baddie 
Balaam Abrasics in order to save her family, protect the earth, and balance who she is with who she was born to be. My favorite part of that is that your phrasing of Chicago-based cleaning lady. <laughs> like she does, she tours regionally, but she's based in Chicago. <laughs> well, she, she, well, she travels widely in the movie. And so, uh, uh, no, you're right. You're right. That is a funny way to say that. Chicago is so iconic in this movie. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's it's like, I expect the Dark Knight to swing through some of these <laughs> helicopter shots of, of, uh, of Chicago. So we know that Joey loves this movie. Um, Iceland, what's your headline? What's your top line about Jupiter Ascending? I think uh, I was trying to figure out the best way to to phrase what it did in my brain. And for me, I think it's if the Princess Diaries fucked Dune. On the set, thank you. On the sound stage of the first ten minutes of Thor, <laughs> you would get this. Um, I, for our purposes, just our purposes, mm-hmm. I was disappointed. Uh, I, I, while I think uh, Mila's performance, I think she was doing the best she can. I think mm-hmm. she is charming, charismatic. Um, I was embarrassed for the lines she had. Um, and then watching a little bit of press, you know, they're, they're make a point of, well, she's not just a damsel in distress and she's not. However, Channing's character literally swoops in mm-hmm. multiple times um, and that their wedding ceremony, although it's a, you know, it's farcical and all that is like just a space version of what happens on earth. You know, I mean, I think there, there are ways that they could have played with the gender of it that they didn't. I agree with Joey that it is, um, gorgeous to look at. And complex, and and I don't know the um, right terms for behind the scenesy kind of stuff, but clearly there's a lot of money there, there's a lot of technology there, there's a lot of innovation and creative people involved. But I, for the purposes of the contenders, I was disappointed. So now, one thing that I think is that makes this movie very interesting, if you want to think about it this way, and I don't know that you have to. But I look at this. I don't this, know that I have to either, but I'm no. <laughs> I don't. I look at this sort of like a gender swapped matrix. And I think it's really interesting in the sense that the Wachowskis were, Isaac, you're going to help me with the, the wording here, were mm-hmm. male when they made the matrix. And then they were female when they it, made this movie. I, I mean, I honestly don't know how they identified necessarily, but yeah, I think I think that would be that they identified it as male. Um, but even in the credits to this, it's um, it's uh, still Andy. Right, right. Is it? Yeah, yeah. it's not Lana and Lily. Nope. No, it's Lana and Andy. Because oh, it wasn't okay. until 2016 or that Lily um, and Andy, or whatever the yeah. Uh, that the, there was a public statement in 2016. Um. So I guess here's here I I, I want to absorb that and think about it. In 2015, is 
a gender swapped matrix enough? Is that innovative? I don't. I don't know. I mean, the Matrix itself is not like the story itself is not anything new. Like I'm sure Tobin can and, and I and you and all three of us can do a million stories that are sort of the hero discovering his powers and then or her powers and then winning in the end, triumphing over evil in the end. Um, I think what made the Matrix unique was its setting and its camera techniques and its innovation in a lot of ways like that. I just think especially to myself when I have such a passion for that movie to see a similar story also set science fiction, future, not future, but like future tech kind of thing where the story is so sort of similar. And then there's this change sort of behind the scenes that I think that there's, if you want to ways to look at it through that prism. And I said this to someone once and they said, well, you know, Keanu, kicks more ass in the Matrix than Mila Kunis does here, and that's true. But also for most of the Matrix, Keanu's kind of like a helpless puppy, and sure. Trinity literally swoops in a lot to rescue him throughout most of that movie, too. So, And I, and I, do, I do like the way that she... I feel like once she is aware of at least some aspects of the game, she plays the, you know, she plays the game. I think she uses um, her strengths and her skills to accomplish her goals. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, she, yeah. I don't, um, I'm not, I don't, um, I'm not saying she is a bad character. I mean, <laughs> but I just, and, and so I, I, I don't know. Tobin, weigh in here. I'm going to, I'm going to break the tie. You're both right. Okay. Yay! Okay. Of dings. Two dings. <laughs> sure. There's ding number one, and then I gotta let it reset. And ding number two. So I, now, the, I mean, who am I to break a tie? But this is just where I come down. I came into this movie expecting to really hate it. Um, Joey expected me to really hate this movie. We put it on our like this is a terrible movie podcast list. And, I, and generally, I, when I love a movie of the way that I love this movie, you. Do not want any part of it. That's absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely. We will never talk about mother on this show. Um, oh, my God. We – not our mother, mom. The mother uh, – yeah, <laughs> the I movie mother. Um, so I – but I had been conditioned over these four podcasts that I had listened to about this movie to, to be ready for it to be wooden, to be stiff, for the Eddie Redmayne performance to be like off the charts bonkers, to be sort of – and, and not all the podcasts I listened to hated the movie. Some of them really, really stood up for it and had, you know, other interesting takes on on sort of how to how to watch it. The thing that helped me the most going into it was knowing that, or, or was was someone saying that it's it's in, the Wachowskis. Uh, it's hard for them to make a movie that isn't earnest. Like they just make earnest mm. movies. Um, uh, not Ernest goes to camp, uh, but Ernest, that's a joke for <laughs> all the old fogies out there, um, but but truly earnest movies. And knowing that, knowing that there is not going to be any wink in this movie, this is just like, you know, big, dumb, goofy, sci-fi extravaganza, but earnest. And if you go in sort of expecting that, I really, 
really had a good time watching this movie. Yes. I and I liked the action. I liked the design. I liked the, all except for um, <laughs> Channing Tatum's prosthetics, which drove me mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but but in terms of the overall design and how and how they designed everything to the way the doors open differently and the way that the ships work differently and all that kind of stuff that I can geek out on. That's that's um, as you say, Joe, is so different from so many things that I've ever seen before. And I, I really, I really, really, I enjoyed the ready main red, Eddie Redmayne performance. Like he's like an old school, like, um, like an old Errol Flynn movie villain, kind of like a Basil Rathbone kind of villain thing where he's like just leaning in, leaning into every word. Like, it's just, it's kind of delicious in how bonkers it is. But I think the the everything they do with the Jupiter, almost everything they do with the Jupiter character, cuts the legs out from under the movie in terms of as eyes on as you say the way we the what we're here to talk about in the movie. The, I'm just repeating what you're saying. I'm just gonna I'm gonna amplify what you're saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump up and down the number <laughs> of times in my notes where it says he's he's swooping in again. Yeah. He's saving her again. Like it, it's it's I, I there are. It's fine. So maybe what it is is that the Matrix inverted it, and this reverts it. That mm. the Matrix in making him be the sort of, you know, uh, puppy dog through the most of the movie, and having um, uh, Karen Moss. What's her name in the movie? Trinity. Uh, but also Trinity. Not, just, but may I point out, not the literal puppy dog like Channing in this movie. Oh God. Oh dear. Um, ha- but having having you know having her come in and save the day, and and so many times was the more revolutionary move, and this then feels like. A regression in that in that sense then and and even though it's handled like the cinematically it's handled beautifully i'm on the edge of my seat is, are they gonna you know is the ring gonna be on her finger is that but then it's like it's the ring on her finger and it's her falling out of the thing and him mm-hmm. swooping so i found myself sort of profoundly disappointed at a number of times while overall enjoying the experience of watching the movie much more than i thought i would hmm. i i love that uh, <laughs> um then you know we both we do both win I would say that if we're shifting a little bit from kind of uh, just my original complaint to <laughs> broader, just yes. the movie broader, I maybe I need to go back and watch it again, at not not for this conversation, but just for the deliciousness of of all the intricacies of it. Because I, like I say, I, I do think it's gorgeous, and I think they they built layers upon layers upon layers of detail. I had a hard time enjoying those that because I did not understand what the hell was happening at various mm-hmm. points. And not only what was happening because, you know, I'm a fairly competent cookie, but like why? <laughs> like why are we doing this again or what does this have to do with that? And I think that's by choice, and I don't know why that's the choice. And I feel like that's the choice in a lot of sci-fi movies, that it's just like, hey, we're going to throw you knee-deep into the lore, neck-deep into the lore, and just good luck swimming your way out. And I don't know why it's so difficult to parse through. But the first time when I was seeing the theaters, I was like, I don't know what's happening, and I don't know why I should care. And then I think – I don't don't want to – you know, I guess I could have maybe warned you or prepped you, but like you kind of don't – you almost don't need to know why things are happening. Like she owns the earth and they want it back from her. And that's like, there's all sorts of like complications to that, that make sense or don't or whatever. But at its core, she's like the ruler of all earth. She is, this is going to sound crazy. The reincarnation of their 91,000 year old mother. And 
they want to, the three Abrasics siblings want to interact with her in some way to manipulate or take advantage of that, you know, majesty that she has. Yeah, I get that. Um, I but, guess I don't know that intentionality makes it better. Like we intend to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you versus that's what well, yeah, happened. I don't know if it does either. I don't know that – I don't enjoy it for the story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so maybe watching it again, not trying to – you know, evaluate it with my contenders glasses on, I would in, in enjoy the idiosyncrasies of the world more. Hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting that Joey had that experience, the experience of watching it once and not being as hot on it and then watching it again and sort of coming around that, that maybe, maybe it is a multiple viewing. Maybe I just feel like I've I feel like I've seen it a bunch because of, of so I heard so many people say, just don't pay attention to the, like, you know, it'll all yeah, sort of come you, out. Yeah, you sort of watch, went right? to the front of the line on it a little right, bit. Right, right, right. Um, I feel like I am often the, I don't know if it's logic police or what kind. I'm the police of some kind, I feel like. <laughs> um, I, early on, I just had to scream, and so I just have to say it here. That is not how egg donation works. <laughs> this came up in two of the other and podcasts that I listened to. <laughs> why? First, it, there's absolutely no reason that her cousin would have any stake in it. He wouldn't be involved at all. And you don't just go in and and harvest. Like that's not that is not how it works. You also <laughs> don't get paid at that stage. So like everyone, I just feel like if you're gonna if it's gonna be important and maybe that's the problem is it wasn't important but just vaguely know how that works isn't there someone that you were paying on this billion 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 dollar movie that could have like logic corrected that a little bit what's interesting is that on bound they kind of famously had a um or infamously had a um uh a sex expert uh, to talk them through the Dr. The, Ruth. Well, no, it wasn't Dr. Ruth. Uh, as a woman who has gone on to do this for a lot of movies, um, but to talk them through not just the sex scenes themselves and how to sort of, you know, literally manage the set, but also just sort of um, uh, the the since that movie is about these these oh God, we're talking more about Bound again, but um, about about uh, you know um, the female sexuality in, 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 in general. And for these characters in particular, in ways that these, at the time, these two directors presenting as men did not, you know, feel like they knew enough about, right? Like they don't have that experience. Right. So they, they have in the past drawn on real people's experience. It is interesting that they didn't for this. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's just like, again, this is a, this is big, dumb sci-fi. And so it's, it is sort of deliberately not playing by reality rules. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not like, I wonder if you could have found a more interesting thing to do or interesting way to do it by sort of sticking closer to reality. Absolutely. Because in, in not, and so even if we took the reality part off of it, but the part of her cousin taking advantage of her for that, like that also, I think 
cuts like you like you sort of said Tobin about the 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 space part there and the, maybe the larger character but sort of cuts down her agency from the beginning and I understand there's growth and there's transformation but we don't she doesn't come back around in that relationship to wear the pants other than that she has you know she secretly owns the earth right. Well, he's changed, right? I guess. I mean, it's 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 the Wizard of Oz thing of mm, um, yeah. the okay. three you know, the three you know hands on the ranch who um, are then sort of emblematic of the characters in the main story. Who then she comes back, and in that case, they know she's been hit on the head by you know to, they don't they don't believe she's been to Oz, right? But they treat right. her differently when she wakes up, and she's so glad sure. to be home. I guess like I, I'm going to just yeah. live back in Kansas and she's point. living. So I, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't mean to say it as a defense of the thing. Cause I think you're right. I don't think that it works particularly well. I think they're more interested in um, like paralleling wizard of Oz than necessarily mm-hmm. telling the story. And so then it doesn't, it doesn't feel earned at the end. You're right. When he's just nice to her at the end, like why, right. you know, uh, Joey. Yes. What's your favorite part of this movie? Or like your favorite scene in this movie? Oh, boy. Well, the, my favorite scene is definitely the – they have a name for it. I don't remember what it's called. But it's the scene where Eisen sort of referenced it before when he first sort of swoops in. Not swoops in to rescue her, but he, they're going up to the ship, right? Where after he comes down to Earth, gets mm-hmm. her out of the not-how-you-harvest-eggs doctor's office, and then is going to bring her up to the ship. And all those bad guys come in, and they're just swooping around the skies of Chicago as the sun is coming up. And I don't remember the number, but they're like they they spent like they would only shoot like for like six minutes a day doing this because oh, the wow. sun had to be like just right. And it took them like weeks or months to do this one scene. And I think it's just beautiful. Like aside from all the crazy future sci-fi tech that you don't see in other movies usually, I just think like the 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 Earth stuff, the sun, the way that they're shooting, the way that they're capturing all the mood and the atmosphere and the city is just done beautifully. And I just love that. And before we start recording, I sent you guys a picture of the fact that I own this on both Blu-ray 3D and 4K. Mm-hmm. And when I first got my 4K TV, this was one of that scene was one of the first ones I saw because I knew just it was just stunning to look at. And so I wanted to watch that and sort of test out my TV with that scene. So I love that the most just because it's visually breathtaking. One of the things that I like about the way that the Wachowskis have always directed action is that they are um you can very often see who you're who, who's fighting and what they're doing and it, it's it's not just all close-ups and cuts and little pieces like they there's a lot of swooping there's a lot of long uh, tracking shots there's lots of wide shots as as these all these battles go on that i that for me anyway orients me and allows me to sort of find my perspective in it it feels less sort of um, generic previs in the way that a lot of superhero movies today, the action sequences feel like, which is often the case, someone else kind of designs the action sequence on a computer and then they just plop that into the movie and, and sort of shoot it. This feels much more uh, – they feel much more invested in how it's going to look and how you're going to sort of be moved through it. I found myself more engaged in in that scene, even in addition to how beautiful it looked, um, than I – I, again, then I kind of expected to be maybe because I've been sort of, you know, being about the head and shoulders by these other um, uh, by these other movies. Aizen, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? Well, that's a great question. Um, OK, I have a facetious one and then a real one. 
only because I can think of the facetious one first. I, when the sister of Braxis, Kalik, Kalik, something like that. Kaliko. Tuppence Middleton. Yes. Tuppence Middleton. Um, When she uh, is with uh, Mila Kunis and and then dips into the bath and comes out, um, Mm -hmm. dips into the human goo bath and and comes out young. (laughs) Yeah. Because I had been waiting for that. Because in this movie where everything is expensive and looks great, I was distracted by her terrible aging makeup. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they were going to do that, then why didn't they go all, you know, balls to the wall with it? Like, you know, there's an, an elephant pilot. Why? Oh, I love had more him. wrinkles than she did. I love him. Um, <laughs> and you knew it just was so clearly a, a young woman with glue on her face. <laughs> um, so that is my facetious one because, uh, you know, of that. Well, my one defense of that, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but my one defense of why didn't they have her be like grandma makeup is because I think that's probably possibly the age where she's like, I can't look like this anymore, that she has to be rejuvenated, maybe. I get get that. I mean, I I absolutely get that. I just think then that should have been better. It it just felt to me like young woman in in Mm -hmm. age makeup. Yeah, they should have gone full into the woods in this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just think, or there are other ways, or they could have, you know, what if her face was always gorgeous, but it was that her hands and it was creeping up her arms. Interesting. And she had to dip dip that way. I just, oh, yeah. Um, What was my favorite thing? Okay. Um, While the premise of it is ridiculous, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed um, the scene with all the bees where mm-hmm. they're swarming around Jupiter. And it was a little bit scary at first. I was just over the weekend mm-hmm. f- fighting yellow jackets um, left and right that, you know, I had that like little panic moment. And then the way that she then kind of dances with them a little bit and she's moving to figure out what their deal is. And then they're just, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was, Lovely. Me too. And fun. And she's yeah. just, I mean, it really, anytime Mila was on, on screen, I, I have always enjoyed her, even in movies that I don't particularly enjoy. I think she is, there is something so captivating about mm. her um, that, you know, I, I think she, and I said, while I was watching, it, I was like, she's, she's doing great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have no, I have absolutely no problem with her. Um, it's just all this other stuff. Did either of you read that this was originally supposed to be written or it was originally written for Natalie Portman who turned it down or dropped out due to some reason or other? Oh, that tracks I'm, for me. Yeah. I'm glad it, I'm glad that it went this way. Um, maybe did just she, because did, the prequels are in my brain when I think of big sci-fi with Natalie Portman, I'm, I mean, I'm a big, I mean, I like Mila Kunis. I think I like Natalie Portman more. I think Natalie Portman recently, especially has been, kind of killing it like with annihilation she's great in that mm-hmm. i mean yeah, Tobin, i know that you don't yeah. love this movie but i think she's great in vox lux i mean i also love vox lux but oh god no she's, <laughs> she, 
it's it's I think she's misdirected in that movie. I don't think it's her it's her pro- problem. But yeah, yeah, uh, that would have been interesting. I, I can't I can certainly see it. She would be, you know, you pick your black swan. And uh, yeah. you know, I was just going to say. With the uh, yeah. third option, I guess, being Winona Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> this was a really this was a hard um, uh, that's a hard part, right? Like it to be this, the, the ingenue of the like bombastic space opera and have to ground it and not be not be the funny one like she has maybe one or two lines that are a little little sarcastic like oh right like you're a wolf or whatever like you know like she gets a couple like as much as this movie as this movie gets but she has to kind of play wide-eyed you know and and but not dumb and like it's a really really fine line i think and i think i think uh um i think you're right that captivating is the word yeah. Were there other okay? So, what about the other women that we that we talked about in our uh, in our uh, discussion here? Who 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 else did you love in this movie? Well, go ahead, Aizen. I mean, I think as I said before, uh, I love I love uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy mm-hmm. is just the best. Um, and then uh, tell me. Uh, which actor played the um, pilot of the ship from the last act? Nikki Amuka Bird. I, and I, I said this while watching it too. I was like, ooh, and she's great. Yes, because she's great. She's <laughs> awesome. She's awesome. And I think especially, I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, Swizzle. Uh, Stinger. Stinger? Stinger? What was his name? Who? Uh, Sean Bean. Oh, uh, Sean Bean. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't it Stinger? Sure. It's something bee related. That sounds right. Um, Stinger Apini, yes. Sure. Stinger Apini? A P I N I. I don't oh, know how you say it. A P I N I. All right. I felt like he was. As a, I mean, he was good too, but like he was kind of wasted. Like you could peel his character out and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> um, and so when I don't know, there's I don't know why I'm comparing the two of them. I think because they were both on that ship uh-huh. and he kept like encouraging or distracting or like I'm in this scene. Yeah. And I was yeah. Just like, get out of the way. And I and I think he's a great actor, but get out of the way uh, because I thought she was so good and her. Um, engagement with uh Channing's character and then also with her crew i don't know mm-hmm. i just really mm-hmm. felt she gave it a kind of a weight and a not reality is not the right word but um but she really i think grounded that whole section and totally. um and that's so why i liked her a lot I would serve on her ship today. I, yes. I am, I am excited. And she, and she is recently was in or recently wrapped Steven Soderbergh's next movie. So I'm hoping Ooh. that when we, if we get to talk about the laundromat on Cinemakers, we'll get to talk about uh, about her again. I think, I think she's incredible. Would I you rather serve on her ship or Laura Dern's ship in Star Wars? <gasps> well, Laura Dern's ship doesn't doesn't make out too well. It uh, does not. <laughs> spoiler alert. So um, I think I'm going to go with uh, with Nikki's with. Uh, Ms. Amuka Bird's ship here. You know, one thing about Sean Bean Island, I agree with you that I think he's wasted. One thing I just saw on IMDb is that the original script for this, believe it or not, uh, was very long, was originally 600 pages. (laughs) Oh um, my God. Which is like 10 hours or whatever, right? That's a lot of content. And I feel like there's just a lot of his character, especially, 
that is that was ripped out. Like there is his daughter or that other woman yeah. who's at his farmhouse who like has one line and he's got this concern for her. And then we don't know what that concerns about really. Right. Like it's just, Oh, I'm okay. I can do this by myself. And then she is gone. Like it just, there feels like there was more weight or more history with him that was just stripped out. And I feel like if we knew more about him, he would feel less in the way and sort of have a reason to sort of be around kind of. That's I think the danger that the Wachowskis get into sometimes now, again, I say this having seen one Matrix sequel, <laughs> The Matrix Bound, and this, but that there's um, it, it, there's a feeling of if you knew inf- more information about right. this character, this character would make more sense for you. I don't want them to have more information. I want them to have more to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with Mila Kunis, this character at the center of this movie too, with Jupiter at the center of this movie, is that that she is just not given enough to do. And and and, and I completely agree. There's this one throwaway line with Sean Bean where, where when he's explaining why he um, – why he betrayed uh, Channing Tatum. He says it's because his daughter was sick. She has the whatever she has the sickness or whatever. And they were going to like cure her. They didn't, they didn't have money for the meds or whatever. Like, so, but that doesn't like, that's a, that's a, that's a screenwriting thing where you've like answered a question. That's not a character doing a thing. And Mm -hmm. so I, I, I enjoy his presence, but I agree. I don't think he needs to be in the movie. I was sure he was going to die. I was sure in that one of my podcasts, somebody had talked about him dying. I mean, easy money is on him dying in everything he's ever done. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it would have been, you know, put him in a ship with Channing Tatum racing through the Jupiter's storm thing and let him die in his ship on the way through or something. Yeah. Like I feel like there, then, then there might, it might've felt like he had done that. He had done more. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, uh, bringing up the, the, his daughter who never went anywhere, um, it's also that it, that remi- that frustration when you say that reminds me of my frustration with like the back and forth space travel. Okay, well now we're back on Earth. Okay, well now we're, you know, up up in here and and um, I was hired by this one, but no, it's this one, and and I betrayed this one, but no, that one betrayed me, and just like to me, it all seemed so unnecessary. It's like when you have a necklace that's just in in a ball. <laughs> Because you've traveled, right? And you uh-huh, pick it up sure. and it looks like it's a giant knot. You're like, I'm never going to get this out. But really, it's just one knot and a bunch of chain kind of garbled. Uh-huh. I want all the garbled chain gone so that I can just pick at that knot. I like that this is the salad metaphor all over yes. again, but yes. just with it's something like, brand new. <laughs> yes, <I'm> just... <laughs> it's like an inedible salad. This is what my brain has been doing is to try to like, I don't know. There's just. So I would like to give two actresses in this credit, not for this movie, because I feel like they don't have a lot to do in this, but (laughs) Puppins Middleton, who plays the sister, the Mm abrasive sister, and Duna Bay, who is the Korean bounty hunter, I guess. She's the one with the crazy multicolored. I forgot Duna Bay. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah. The two of them are two of the leads in Sense8, and they're both great in that Mm. show. That Sense8 is about these eight people around the world who share the same birthday, and they find out that they're part of this, what's called a Sense8, S-E-N-S-A-T-E, and they can all sort of hear each other's thoughts and also sort of body swap into each other. And that show, I mean, that premise alone doesn't really make a lot of sense, but seeing what they're able to do with the way that that story structure or what that allows for is incredible like there's things in literally every episode that i've never seen anywhere else but they're both great in that show and i feel like i like them in this movie 
because I like them in that, but they don't have a lot going on here. Uh, Duna Bay is also good in Cloud Atlas, too. She's just in a bunch of the Wachowski stuff, but you know they're not great here, but I think that's just because there's not... Maybe they had stuff stripped out of the script or whatever, but sure. sort of credit to them on a broader scale, if not necessarily in this movie. Sure. I mean, it's, it's like my my comments about S there's nothing particular in this movie that, that her character is given to do, but she's a great actor. And so I was glad to see her. And same thing with Vanessa Kirby, who is just right. in this to look beautiful in underwear, but she is killer in mission impossible fallout. She's going to be the Shaw sister in the highly anticipated summer blockbuster. <laughs> highly, the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Um, she's great in the stuff and she's in the crown. I haven't seen the crown, but I've heard great things about her in the crown. She's really good in the crown, but she's really good in other stuff. And here she's just like, I'm a pretty blonde in black underwear. Look at me. And Oh, that annoyed me too. Can you help me with this? Um, was Jupiter using her name because she was born on a ship in the middle of nowhere? Probably. Because she because, has no country, we're told. Because that was the name. Because that. Yes. Like, they, the they weird, come to check her. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. The naked aliens came to find her, you know, looked at her to find her first. And then they followed her name to the clinic. So did she know that Jupiter was using her name? Did she give her permission? What? Like, oh. That's probably in like some of the 600 pages that got cut out of the thing. And other than just being in her underwear, yep. What was Again, that I, character doing there? I agree. There's not enough. There, there's. It's not justified in the story. <laughs> and I feel like and that I, whole beginning part, you could kind of condense that, right? Like instead of having the fake out, like I feel like that fake out where they think that Vanessa Kirby is Mila Kunis, and they sort of scan her and realize it's not her, and then Jupiter takes a picture of them, and they run away, and then they wipe her memory. Like, I feel like that's only there to set up later the explanation of why Chicago's not destroyed, right? But I feel like you could just sort of erase the Vanessa Kirby character altogether and have Mila Kunis go to the clinic in the beginning and she be rescued there and just sort of condense what's Absolutely. 15 or 20 minutes into like 8 or 10 and not really lose anything and then maybe add other story stuff later to fill out. Because again, you're talking at the top how long this can feel. Without credits, this is under two hours. Like, it's not right. wildly long for a movie that is as intentionally complex and muddied as this, right? Like, there's room to sort of go to, not that you would want to watch it, but like to 220 to 230 and just add narrative and add explanation and exposition. But you're sort of, you know, you're using time where you don't necessarily need to use time. And it's the movie apparently all about time. <laughs> it's the most precious resource in the universe. Oh God. Um, so okay, so the red main of it all. Yeah. Well, I so what's your take on the red main of, of it all? <laughs> I mean <laughs> God. Let me open with this. In general, I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. I understand. He is a talented actor. I don't enjoy watching him. And I have not, and I, and I don't know all things about all things. So pardon that. But, um, you know, two of his most highly acclaimed performances are very 
kind of identity specific to identities that he does not hold. And I don't want to get into all the representation stuff because mm-hmm. that's a lot. Well, and what's the other one? Podcast. I know the Danish girl. What's the other one? Um, theory of everything. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. There, there, and and I, I, I'm not. Um, I don't know enough to solidly be in a camp, but there are folks similar to when we talk about race, ethnicity, and and sex and gender that um, talk about uh, ability and disability um, should be treated similarly. That that folks um, there should be representation from folks um, who had that. Now I also understand in that the character starts out different you know, doesn't, does, it does, mm-hmm. is, does not have a disability throughout it. Ugh, it's a lot, but I just, I, that's, there's something in that that feels, is it icky? Uh, I don't know if it's all the way to icky. It, I'm unsettled. It, 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 the story I'm telling myself about that is that he's looking through <laughs> scripts to find a mm-hmm. challenge mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. might not be appropriate for him to play. So, on the whole, I'm not a fan. Uh, was watching his bananas portrayal the most fun I had watching this movie? Yes, it was. <laughs> um, I also knew going in that this was a thing. Um, I had listened to the How Did This Get Made, where they both um, uh, all try to do the Eddie Redmayne. You know, to, you know, like they do their own impressions. They also play clips. So I was like keyed up for it. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, this is a this is a ridiculous world. And so he he met the set. He met the costumes. He met the technology of it. And so he was in line with it in that in that sense. I do mm-hmm. wish that there was a little bit more maybe unity in the siblings and how they all, I understand they're different, but like I would have liked a little bit more family resemblance in terms mm-hmm. of their affects. Does that I'd make love sense? to see them all doing the red main voice. That would be, I mean, or just something, right. He was yeah. also like always almost crying. Yeah. Was that him? Was he wearing contacts? <laughs> I, I would love to hear how he was directed to portray that. Because mm-hmm. I think he probably hit what they wanted out of the park. Um, so I'm sorry. That was a long way of not really saying anything at all. But I did. No, I, I enjoyed it. I laughed. I laughed. I cried. I changed the channel the minute it was over. what about you joey how how do you like uh eddie in this movie well it's noteworthy i think on some regard if you care about this that he won the razzie the same year he won the oscar or within a calendar year of winning the oscar Mm -hmm. that's why it was going to be on second chance cinema right which is crazy in that regard i also think and you know you you've both mentioned i think the how did this get made episode i listened to that too and it's one of those episodes where you know, I love that show and I love the three hosts, but I also there are certain movies that they do not like that I enjoy. And it's one of those where, you know, they're, they, they've covered movies on that show like Face Off and like Con Air that Jason loves and that I love mm-hmm. with them. And they're embracing the over the topness of it all. And I felt mm-hmm. like with this movie, they were not really 
keeping in mind the the why of it all, if you will. Like Eisen, like what you were saying, that there's a reason why he's acting the way he is in this movie. Maybe it could have been better. Maybe they could have been better directed. But I feel like within this world, it kind of makes sense. And I think it's easy to make fun of him. I just wish that people who watch this enjoy him in it as opposed to just poking fun at him. Um, I felt like their guests really did. I don't Just remember to, who the I don't remember because that was a while I ago. I, the, yeah, I don't remember who the guest was either. But one of their guests really enjoyed the movie, um, and so I, I I do think that one came out a little bit more like this, where there were people on both sides. Okay. Um, just to, you know, cause I gotta, I gotta defend Jason. Of course. I know. I, I totally get it. He's the love of my life. Sure. Do not eat eggs around him. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I'd give them up, but that's oof. a different podcast. <laughs> but I, I don't really have an affinity toward him or, you know, a, a preference toward him one way or the other. I think, uh, I really like him in this. I think he's the exact kind of right amount of camp. He's leaning into the craziness of this. And I also think that there's the lines that I think, uh, the literal lines of dialogue that people have pointed out where he goes from whispering that Tobin did so eloquently at the start of the show <laughs> where it begins at a whisper and ends in a scream. But I feel like and maybe this is just me defending a movie that I like. I feel like it works. Like, I feel like it's kind of the appropriate delivery. I mean, it is crazy. Like it's over the top, but I feel like I understand why his character would talk that way. And so I don't see faults with him. Um, I also don't see faults with a lot of this movie because I just have blinders on, <laughs> rose-colored glasses, all sorts of things, you know, 3D glasses blocking my eyes and just letting me see what I want to see. But I don't think I, – I, I'm just glad that you both appreciated him as opposed to being bothered by him. I'll do, I'll do you one better. Uh, this is a, my hottest take of hot takes is that I think this is his best performance. <laughs> I would probably agree. Honest to God. Honest to God. In terms of his screen – performances this is as good as it gets the, he you, i there's something about if you're going to be in the movie this big and you're going to play a character like this that is written big you better lean all the way the fuck into this character mm -hmm. like and and be, if you don't you end up like Channing Tatum who i think yep. is a great actor who just gets swallowed in this movie cuz he's not play he doesn't really have anything to play he's not or he's not he's choosing not to or something he's not directed to and so he ends up sort of disappearing into the movie Eddie Redmayne it has to he he's living in the eye of the storm on Jupiter he has to be big in order to like compete with the scenery you know um and i think that he i i i i love this performance i really truly do i think it is i think it is pitched beautifully the 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 quavering tears in the eyes i think are delicious i just i am all in for this performance and i don't think he has ever been better and i'm not sure he will ever be better. They should have swapped his Razzie and his Oscar that year. <laughs> that, I love that. What I w really want to see is uh, your son do one of his scenes. Yes. It I has think the your son coloring. has the, yeah. yes, yeah. the coloring, the, uh -huh. the gravitas, the presence. <laughs> Halloween next year. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. But I, I, I think the performance is great too, you know, in, in some of those ways. And then in some, I will disagree. But what does he have to do 
also. <laughs> That's why he has to perform it like this because he doesn't really, he just lounges on cushions and like. Right. I mean, there's no scenery you know? left because he chewed it all. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And he's not the one with the biting problem. Uh, <laughs> I feel like in a movie where there is an elephant pilot and Channing Tatum is a dog and they go to outer space and there are people, they're turning races of people into gel to, you know, revitalize their skin. The fact that people leave the theater remembering Eddie, Raiden, Ed, Eddie Redmayne above all else is, yeah. you know, a testament to the performance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, And also, yeah. in defense of Channing Tatum, come back in five years for our four times a year podcast, Magic Mike's, where we will get to this movie in 2024, tentatively. <laughs> so we will defend him then. There's a few movies of his that I really want Joe to, Joe to, to watch. This is one of them. I don't think he's going to like this one. But wait five years and we'll find out. Huh. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just I don't. I don't know if if there is something super redeeming about his performance. Would you just tell us now and I'll forget by twenty twenty four and listen to the podcast? Oh, I don't again. know if there is. I just love him. Okay. I mean, I have a whole podcast about him. I can't not I, enjoy I him. <laughs> I I guess I disagree. <laughs> I I you know I I was a a dues paying member of the Christian Bale fan club um, throughout the nineties. But there are things I think he's bad in. Sure. But, t- but Iceland, you love dogs. You've always loved dogs. <laughs> oh my God. That was one of those moments where my, where <laughs> they were going for funny, I think. <laughs> no, I'm not sure that they were, but I feel like he maybe was. I, 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 there's something off there. Yeah, there's something I, off my, there. my favorite part of the Channing's character was the first time we see him. He's kind of uh, walking through a a an alley, you know, and it's dark and there's uh-huh. steam or whatever, <laughs> and it's it's they're a little bit above and behind, and I could tell from his walk, like you couldn't see who it was, mm-hmm. and I said, "There's Channing. That's his walk, even as a dog." <laughs> And then, of course, every time that he used his gravity boots in my household, we yelled space boots every time. (laughs) It's kind of a drinking game, but we weren't drinking. Space boots. I think probably because my mind is always in the Fast and the Furious. I felt like the final scene of them around the dining room table is a very family Fast and Furious way of ending the movie (laughs) at 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 a dinner table. Uh, They were Mm -hmm. drinking Heineken, not Corona. So that's a little bit of a bummer there. And then the only other thing that I have to say is that bees don't lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, the, I, I am amazed that uh, Sean Bean could deliver that speech with a straight face. <laughs> like <laughs> that one, that one is like, okay, like you want me to say what? Okay. Um, so I, I do have one last question for both of you. If you discovered that you were the king or queen of the earth, what would you do? Would you go back to scrubbing toilets or not? No. I would try to do something. I think that's an, that is, thank you for bringing that up. It's sort of an issue I have with the piece um, <laughs> is that, okay, uh, humans have been cultivated to take over the planet to like, you know, r- ripen themselves or the Mm -hmm. planet i'm not entirely sure so that they can be harvested that to me alone was an interesting concept and could be part of an interesting movie uh or book or whatever 
because I felt like it could then explain um, what has happened to the earth because we're here and because there are so many of us and, and because we have, you know, have the lifestyles that we do, mm-hmm. that it's kind of part of another plan and ruining the earth is a side effect of that plan. So I would, I don't know, maybe get together with some of the other weirdo, immortal, human, non-human families and see how can we sustain the earth, right? If they have all Mm -hmm. this technology and all this whatever else, what can we do to better balance the, the earth as a haven for humanity and all the other things? You know, the real mm-hmm. elephants, the ones that aren't pilots. <laughs> so I that, like that I was, I like I that was yeah. that's what I would do. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I great feel answer. like the ending that the movie winds up with is one where Jupiter is like, family's the most important thing because this other family was messed up, but I want to respect my family and be better to my mom. But like, we don't, I don't know if it necessarily earns that in a way. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right ending or a good ending even. Um, but no, I would not go back to scrubbing toilets. I would do something like Eisen said, or just, you know, I think you have to like, she's in a relationship now with Channing Tatum and she's flying around Chicago in her, in her space boots. And, you know, she's, she's not the same person she was in many different ways, but how long is that going to last? Like, are they going to do that? for the rest of her life or is she going to go in outer space in a year or two years or five years or maybe what i'm saying is that we need a jupiter sending too <laughs> <laughs> i i think that what she i think i think building on island's answer you you put so sean bean has this in the the in the bees section of the movie he talks about uh the the tech like humans have come up with all kinds of tech you can't even imagine meaning of course the humans that planted the humans on earth like not not necessarily on earth and like put sean bean in charge of like the tech to figure this stuff out if you got all this yeah. tech, if you can heal people with like a beam of this like thing and he just like heals Channing Tatum's side like that could be really useful in a lot of places in the world mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I agree Aislinn I think there's I think she um, again even at the end she's like they don't give her like things to no, do she's just excited to tell her family she has a date yeah. I mean that, <laughs> yes, that's yes. Me. there was also something about like well now that I understand it's that it's that Wizard of Oz of it now that I understand I appreciate my family I'm going to get up and make coffee for them. That's going to be my role. You own the earth. <laughs> like, I Take some I, responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and also, I just am sure that another weirdo family is going to come after her. Like, isn't she a target now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, you know, I don't create life or destroy it, but I'm glad this movie's over <laughs> no well now i think instead of jupiter sending two we need jupiter ascended is now the, the sequel so mm, let's yeah, let's make it go. happen where we have 200 million dollars <laughs> although i don't know the wachowskis are making movies anymore i don't know what's going on with their whole thing or there one of them is doing something i don't know i want more from that that's all i'm that's all i'm all right. saying okay we'll get you more in the meantime do you want to play a game absolutely yes please Okay. This game is inspired by Coco Chanel. <laughs> it's called Look in the Mirror, Take One Thing Off. 
I will give you a series of three elements that are part of this movie. Pick the one of those three that you would take out. Right? There's famously Coco uh-huh. Chanel said, when you put on an outfit, you put on your accessories, look in the mirror, take one thing off. So for each of these trios, I'm going to have you look in the mirror, take one thing off that you think would then uh, be beneficial to the film. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So I have a cup. Uh, I have um, several groups of three okay. that are kind of small things, and then if we need tiebreakers, I have a couple pairings of of larger plot points. Okay. Okay. So to start off, what would you take off between these three elements so they would no longer be part of the movie? One would be Kane Wise losing his status for biting an entitled. Two would be Wise being part dog. Or three, Wise getting his wings back. Which of those three things do you think the movie would benefit from if it was not part of it? Ooh. Uh, Joey, do you want to go first? I feel like the first two are so closely tied together in a sense that you can't separate the two, that you'd almost need to remove two things. I don't know if Coco should have ever looked in the mirror and took two things off instead of just one. (laughs) But I feel like of those three, if you have to remove one, I would remove the wings because I feel like there is also kind of a validation in the end of him that he gets something else. Instead of getting the thing that he thought he wanted back, he now has power like maybe he's in jupiter's army or whatever you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i feel like the fact that he is the dog that did the bad thing he gets redemption that he's not in the same he's not in the place that he was before but he's in a new place it's a better place because now there's a a benevolent ruler among us Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense i however would have to take out the part of him being part dog boo I just think it's distracting and I think yep. that it inhibited his performance. And I think that it would, it would have been a better movie if, if that was not happening to him. I agree. I'm going to have to go point. Yeah. Points to Tobin on that one. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Next, uh, we will focus for a moment on Jupiter herself. So which of these three things would you eliminate? One Jupiter being nationless born at sea. Two, Jupiter's father dying uh, before she was born. Or three, Jupiter's cousin trying to sell her eggs. <laughs> I know which one to, to go for the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will let you go first. If you want to take that easy win, go ahead. No, I, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying. If you I, can I, convince me otherwise, I'm I, happy to give another option. <laughs> um. Okay, uh, I'm going to I would get rid of. Oh, gosh, I think I would get rid of the f- father dying. I think you get some. I don't think you needed to see it. I don't think that's mm-hmm. the thing we need to see in the movie. I think you could have had her just being born nationless on a mm-hmm. ship at sea would have been a kind of cool opening to the to the movie and would have left some mystery in terms of like, Ooh, is she an alien? Like what's, you know, where does it all come from? And I think that would have been where I would start. I like that. I think I would leave that in because I feel like it is in a movie that is as sort of weird and strange and all over the place as this is, I think having a cliche kind of like that 
a sort of in a way a Disney princess dead parent sort of important factor mm. event moment in her life sort of has a normalizing factor on her character in a way. I also mm. like the fact that she is, I think, so here's the other thing. So I think that both the first and the third thing you mentioned, Aizen, about her being mm-hmm. born without a nation and her trying to sell her eggs, you could look at them, and I don't, or I didn't, but I've read these online, that you can look at them both as metaphors for reproductive rights or about i mean it's like the first line of the movie she's like i'm an illegal alien it's like okay um and so i feel like it's those two things that in a certain type of movie or even in this movie you could make the central part of your story and do a whole metaphor about that i like the idea that she is sort of at sea she is sort of in a sense homeless because she was not born in a country because she also does not really quite belong to Earth. She's bigger than that. So I think that sort of works. I would maybe like that fleshed out a little bit more. I think for what you said earlier, for the reasons you said earlier, Iceland, for also because I want the easy point, but I also <laughs> think this because <laughs> the movie doesn't really do a lot with it. Like once he right. saves her from the not quite egg harvesting facility, it never comes back. Like it just is dropped. And I think for that reason, take that out and just sort of have him get to her in some other way. And maybe that gives Vanessa Kirby some other way to either be more useful in the story or remove her altogether. I I agree. I think the point goes to Joey there. Mm-hmm. And, and I could give you the opportunity to get rid of the blonde lady in just a minute. Um, <laughs> oh, I had something else and then I lost it. It was about the egg thing. Oh, uh, I, I guess, and this is, might get us back into a conversation we don't need to have, but I also don't, I'm not compelled by, like, there's something greater there for her. It's explained as a genetic anomaly. She's not, I mean, from my perspective, she's not an abraxas. She's, happens to be a genetic like her genes happen to match, but that doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, you mean like it could have been anybody. It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not faded. It was like a roll of the dice. I mean, I think yeah. that we just, uh, the three of us as mere mortals, mere humans, just entering the genetic age do not possess the knowledge to know why this is so important. So. Sure. That's a, I, I will, I will. <laughs> Great. I'll let that stand. All right. Um, so we, the next next ones are just things that I don't need in this movie. So <laughs> would you get rid of, one, the whole rich blonde lady thing, um, two, the whole bee thing. Bees don't lie. Bees find royalty. Bees respect <laughs> royalty. Um, or three, just the Sean Beam of it all. Oh, the Sean Beam of it all? <laughs> I would the, get rid the of the stinger, the stinger I, of it all. I would get rid of Vanessa Kirby, rich blonde. I'm yeah. sorry because I think she's great, but I don't think she's has enough room to be great in this movie. Because I, because we are playing a game, and I want to do a different answer. I would, I'll mm-hmm. let Tobin have that one. I want to leave the bees in there because I think the bees, as weird as it can be, uh, I love that about it. I also think that there are a lot of really beautiful gifts of, like you were saying earlier Aizen of the bees sort of swarming and circling around her and I just love that um, mm-hmm. 
So I think by default, I have to remove Sean Bean. And I think we talked about it earlier that there's potential there for him to be someone important or have a, a, a key role or a pivotal role. But he's not, I guess he's very similar in that way to Vanessa Kirby. He's just on screen more. So Eisen, here's my pitch to you. Remove him and it shortens more of the movie. <laughs> hmm. I I like both of those ideas, and so I will give you both a point for those answers. Hey, all right. Yeah. Okay. Now that we have a tied score, we're going to do the tiebreaker. Okay. And in this case, I'm going to give you three. No, I'm going to give you four premises for a movie. Ooh. Ooh. Each of them can be found within this movie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. And you decide which one would be a good, a fantastic movie. So instead of pitch. removing one, we're picking one. You're picking one. Okay. Because we're going to end on a high note. We're going to pick what compels us the most. If you each, if I gave you each, what was the budget of this movie? $175 million. If I gave you each $80 million. To make one movie. One premise. Yeah. Of this. Okay. So I apologize to you and our listeners. There are four, but they are short. Okay. So the first premise is a princess diaries like character living her everyday life until she learns that she, she shares the DNA of a mystical space princess. That's coming, it. coming to Netflix next week. Right. <laughs> yeah. From Hallmark. So uh-huh. that's one option. Okay. The second movie would be about a family of royal, I'm putting that in quotes, space humans who and their um who sustain their lives and beauty by soaking in human goo. Okay. So the second one. The third one is the story of a disgraced space soldier <laughs> who goes on a quest to get his wings back but finds so much more. And then finally, rival royal siblings vie for their inheritance in a game of incesty chess involving humanity. <laughs> All right. I think I went first the last two. So I think, Joey, it's your turn to go first. The crazy thing is that I think each of these on their own, and this is no criticism of you, Island, I think they're all kind of boring and bad, but together they are so, so beautiful. (laughs) I'm going to go with the last one because I think, and this is maybe what the movie was doing, and I think it's what a lot of other media has done. It's sort of a King Lear sort of thing. Um, I think there's that show on HBO whose name I cannot remember right now. Succession. 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 That does that sort of, except not in space. I think... In high school, I read a book called The Thousand Acres, which is a modern modern modernization of King Lear in the Midwest with a farmland, which I think was really good. I think the more – and maybe these other ones are sort of Shakespearean in their tone and their topics and their focuses and so on and so forth. But I feel like if you're able to drill down to that like one archetypal story that has been around forever and set it in a place that maybe has not seen that before, like Outer Space – I think you have the potential for something really exciting and really fresh and something I would like to see. So I will do the incesty King Leary space drama where they're vying for supremacy over all mankind, but in outer space. 
Mm. All right. Sounds good. Tobin? That was the one I was going to go for because I was going to pitch it as Cruel Intentions in Space. Oh, Joe too would pick it based on that alone. I know that. (laughs) But I think instead, here's here's my pitch. I'm going to pick number three. Space disgraced space soldier has to sent on a mission and find so much more, except I'm going to make that space soldier a woman. <laughs> I... Wait, that's the whole pitch. Yeah, because I think it would yeah. be it's okay. it's it would be dull. It would be same old. It would be it would be we've seen it before. Even with Channing Tatum at the helm? If he's dressed like this, especially with Channing Tatum. Uh. But you make Mila Kunis that character, I'm there. Nat Port. Sure. Mm. I I think that's, I mean, God, as much as Joey is our boss, um, I think I'm going to oh have boy. to get with Tobin on this one. No! Because just in my immediate you know, Rolodex memory, I can't think of disgraced female soldier goes on a quest there you go you know what i mean i think all the all the uh loose cannons all the captain kirks all the star lords mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff i can't think of that with a with a mila kunis so so that would be something i would be down to see <sighs> although nice. uh i i do love cruel intentions in space <laughs> Let's make both. Let's make both. We have all that money. Yeah. yeah. Thank you all for indulging my, uh, you know, sarcasm. Thank you or for whatever the, the appropriate term is. Thank you, Iceland. <laughs> Always fun. Here we go. This is the time for closing thoughts. For closing thoughts as they regard to, in regards of, whatever the preposition should be. (laughs) Is this movie a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Joey, as our guest, please uh, answer the question first. Uh, I don't know. I was thinking about this the entire time I was watching it. I know for sure it's not a step forward. I don't know. I feel like I think you're, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I feel like you're both going to, be more firmly in the step backward camp. I think this is, and maybe it's a step backward, but I think it's more a step sideways because I feel like having a woman director and a woman writer and a story about a woman, and maybe it's it's what we've seen before. It's a damsel in distress being saved, and maybe because we've seen that so much, it is a step back because it could have been a step forward and wasn't. But I feel like it's kind of neither and just sort of a there are things here that are progressing things and things here that are regressing things and ultimately kind of neither, neither nor. So there's my non-answer. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Tobin, what, what would you like to add? I would like to say that I really enjoyed watching this movie. I will watch it again. I will watch the Eddie Redmayne scenes unironically. Uh, I will. I'm glad I have a, a used copy of the DVD because I will watch the special features and and look at. But I want to see how they made this thing. But I and I am I am almost persuaded by Joey's case that this is in neutral. But I think that it it ultimately um, uh, bails on too many opportunities to really do something uh, 
fully progressive with its main character. And if you can't pull it off with the main character, then then side characters and people and, and folks behind the camera, I don't think make up for that. So I'm going to say regressive. Aislinn, what about you? No surprises here. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Tobin. Uh, with no fault to the um, portrayal done by Mila Kunis. I, I don't think, I just want to be clear that it's not, I don't think it's it's um, the work that she did's fault of this, but I agree there are, are missed opportunities and then the kind of shots that are taken that that are just unnecessary and not, I mean, any, any sort of discussion, gendery discussion that was had was just so disappointing to me um, that, that, yeah, I just, I don't, this is not, this is not progressive. And, and just, I put it in the bucket with other, you know, sci-fi things that ignore powerful women. So that's me <laughs> on that note <laughs> speaking of powerful women tobin yes speaking of powerful women next up we are going to watch my best friend's wedding uh with a pair of guests that i'm very looking very much looking forward to we're gonna watch my best friend's wedding take a look at it if you haven't seen it uh if is you that haven't julia seen roberts? It, it is julia roberts okay and Cameron Diaz. And Cameron and, Diaz. Uh, um, Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've, I'm very excited. We're going to watch that movie in two, uh, in two, or, or sorry. We're going to release our episode in two weeks on June 25th. So find yourself a copy of My Best Friend's Wedding, watch it four or five times, and then come back and uh, check out our episode. <laughs> uh, Joey, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Of course. Please tell us where people can find you and all your million shows online. Well, the most important one is one that you were both on now a while ago, but you were our first guests on Too Fast, Too Forever. So every other Tuesday, Joe Two and I watch a Fast and the Furious movie and talk about those. We are now on lap four. It's the fourth time we're watching those and talking about those. Uh, we just got some merch, some swag that's on the way. This is an exclusive here first. So if you Ooh. want to get that, you can check out our Patreon page over there. But it's really a lot of fun. We have a lot of people who write in and email in and interact with us, and I have a lot of fun doing that. And then every Friday, Mike Manzi and I, who's been on the show as well, he and I do the Tom Tom Club, which I think you've both been on and will be on again. We do Tom Cruise movies and Tom Hanks movies alternating every Friday. So every other Tuesday, Too Fast, You Forever, and every Friday, Tom Tom Club. And just go check out our thousandth episode where I talked to Iceland for a while. And I talked to a whole bunch of other guests and hosts about the thousand episodes that this podcast network has put out. Speaking of wonderful shows on this network, Eisen, where can people find you online? Thank you. That's a great question. Uh, you can find my other show, Why Aren't We All, at uh, the Cage Club Podcast Network. Uh, this episode, the episode that came out most recently is about enjoying beer. Why aren't we all enjoying beer? Do I suggest everyone drink beer? I do not. But <laughs> I think it's an interesting discussion of um, craft personship and uh, finding a purpose and doing something for yourself that, that makes the day a little easier. So uh, please go check that out or the previous episodes uh the episode that uh, the third episode that came out in may tobin interviews me I and did. a host guest switcheroo yeah. about my love for uh the broadcast the not the broadcast the bravo <laughs> uh schedule of shows and um and i have a couple of 
really fun ones coming up too. So um, dig in now, get yourself familiar, and then enjoy um, the final two shows coming up this summer. Tobin, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can find us on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. Special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. Become a member today, connect with other listeners, and support our show. I should mention that Sean Flynn is the guest on the Enjoying Beer episode of Why Aren't We All? Yes. In fact, I believe you just did, and I'm glad. (laughs) We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows, including my other show, at cageclub.me. And you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at Cage Club Pod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am Aislinn Addington. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. gonna make a joke but i'm gonna save that joke yeah let's save save all the jokes that joke will have uh we'll have purchase later i think (laughs) that's Um, such a dad thing to say i know guess what (laughs) i know i got news for you purchase (laughs) is purchase the dad thing yeah he just uses that word um well a lot Kind of in that way. In that way, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a, it is correct. It's just I've never heard like it used like that. Like to hang on to something <laughs> to get your get purchase on something. Mm-mm. Never heard of it. Genuinely, the- that, that sounded like me being sarcastic, but no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never heard, heard of, of it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo, yo. Mm. oh, there, oh, there you are again. I am talking. Can you hear me can now? You, Wait, let's I can see. hear you. Can you hear us? Is there mic default? That's I can right. Hear you. Storage. Oh, Joey. Okay, good. Can you hear us? These parents looks like no, neither of us. Okay. Um